is Father's Day, so I wanted to do a sermon that was timely and appropriate for Father's Day, but I also had Mother's Day off, so I didn't do a Mother's Day sermon this year, and I still wanted to be fair, and I've been doing this series about the power of our words, and so I kind of wanted to stick with that theme as well, and so I've kind of combined all of these themes into a sermon today addressing both fathers and mothers regarding what they should be teaching their children. And so there's a passage that addresses this very well, and it's our main passage today. It's the first few verses of Titus chapter 2. So in the book of Titus, you have Paul, who is writing to Titus as he's in Crete. And the first chapter addresses the standard that is set for elders and overseers in the church. And then it goes on to this second chapter. So we're going to begin reading at the first verse. It says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So in this passage, we're given instructions on what these older men and women's lives should look like, and then what they should be teaching the younger generation out of those lives. So let's begin by talking about the instruction given to the men here. The men here are taught to be temperate and self-controlled, not to be wild or easily angered, but rather to have discipline. And we see this instruction to teach that to the older men and then to encourage that in the younger men, showing that the older men are, should be acting this way, they should be acting with temperance and self-control, and that that should then be passed on to the young men to also be self-controlled. And so it's in this that we see the primary role of a father, which is that of teaching discipline. And it's kind of sad that in our world today, whenever we think of the word discipline, we only think of punishing bad behavior. Because really, discipline is so much more than just that. It's, it's so much greater than just pointing out mistakes that are being made and trying to correct those mistakes. And when you understand truly what it means to be disciplined and self-controlled, you know that it's a lot more about what you actually do rather than just what you don't do. And that you need to be intentional rather than just avoiding making mistakes. So let's consider what intentional and proactive discipline looks like. First of all, it's not apathy. It's not a removal of emotions. Men, boys, we're always going to have a little bit of that wild spirit in us, and that's okay. That's a good thing. That's something that God has instilled in us. 
but we need to make sure that that strength is bridled, that we're able to control and channel what we do with that drive that God has put within us, because that can be channeled into positive results. For instance, when my dad first took me hunting, I had a lot to learn. You know, I was a pretty young boy still, and I really didn't have a lot of self-awareness. So I'm walking through the woods, and I'm not paying attention to how loud I'm talking or that I'm dragging my feet. And of course, by this point, I'd already gone through Hunter's Ed, right? I knew how to safely handle a rifle, but I still didn't know how to hunt well. And so my dad had to teach me the things that I needed to be aware of while I was hunting that I shouldn't drag my feet, right? I should pick my feet up and step with my heel first and then roll down to my toes because that makes for quieter steps. And I need to look down at the ground to see where I'm stepping to make sure I'm not stepping on branches or crunchy leaves and things like that, or I'm not going to trip over anything, but that I also can't just stare at the ground the whole time because then I'd be missing the whole point of being out in the woods at the first place of trying to hunt something. And I needed to keep my eyes up as well and look for the deer that I was hunting. And of course, while my dad is teaching me these things, he's teaching me with a very quiet, hushed, whispered voice. Because he wants to make sure that he's not scaring any deer away, right? He's being quiet, and so I'm listening to not only what he's telling me, but how he is telling it to me. And then as we're walking along, I'm paying attention to what he is doing. And I see him looking out, scanning across the line of trees, and every now and then taking that glance down to see where he's stepping, kind of getting the next three steps in his mind, and looking back up, primarily keeping his eyes on what he's hunting for, but always watching him take that quick glance down to be aware of where he's stepping and how he's stepping. So whereas I, as a kid my whole life, had just kind of gone through my life with my head in the clouds, I was now seeing my dad take every step intentionally and being very disciplined in every step that he took. And then to contrast that kind of rigid composure, when we did get a deer, to hear him begin cheering and, great job, son, look, you got him, you got him. And, and now that hushed whisper during that time of focus had been replaced with this loud celebration because what we had been disciplining ourselves for had produced fruit and now it was time to celebrate the results of that hard work. And see, that is what discipline should look like, right? It's not just correcting bad behavior, it's teaching someone how to bridle their natural instincts, right, of just kind of dragging my feet along and be aware of what I'm doing and in control of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it in order to produce results. That is good teaching. And there's so many elements that you could take from that and apply to day-to-day -day life of being mindful of every step that you take and where you're taking that step and how you're taking that step, but not becoming so focused on that that you lose sight of what's around you and forget about the direction you're heading in and what it is that you are trying to accomplish. That's what good life discipline looks like. 
And it's important that we show others how to live a life with that kind of discipline. But of course, before we can show others how to live that disciplined life and teach them how to do that, we first need to practice it in our own life. And the way that we do that, the way that we become disciplined, is by following the teaching that God has given to us. That just like how I followed my dad's instructions of how to walk through the woods when I'm hunting, that we follow God's instructions given to us through the Bible to walk through life with the discipline that leads to good results. And that is the role of the Father. So now let's go to the other side and look at the instruction that is given to older women, which is to be reverent in the way that they live and not to be slanderers, and that they are to be taught this so that they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. And these examples of being reverent and not slandering are great examples of what I talked about a few sermons ago with blessing and cursing. Are you being respectful, lifting others up, humble so that you can bless others? Or are you slandering them? Are you complaining about them? Are you gossiping about them behind their back and bringing them down? And Paul makes an excellent connection here by recognizing that when these younger women are watching the older women, if they observe the older women, rather than talking about people behind their backs, rather than slandering others, especially their own spouse, and instead they are respectful towards them and they are reverent, that that example is going to show these young women how to love their husbands and children. Because when you are being respectful, humble, and blessing others, that you are loving them. You're placing the focus on them rather than yourself. It's that sacrificial love. And that is the primary role of the mother, to teach love, to teach how to be loving, how to serve others rather than making demands from them. Now, I've already bragged on my dad a bit, so let me brag on my mom too, because my mom set an example for me of how to be loving. And if I were to ask myself, how do I know that my mom loves me? My mind immediately flashes back to her in the kitchen and me walking into the kitchen to talk to her. And that comes to mind because I did that a lot. Probably every day or two, I would walk into the kitchen where my mom was working, usually putting dinner together or something like that, and I would just begin to talk to her about whatever was on my mind. And it could be anything as profound as theology and ministry, or it could even have been girls or video games. It, it didn't matter, just whatever was on my mind, whatever was on my heart. And I could go into the kitchen and just talk to her about it. And our talks usually would go on for well over an hour. And so really think about this picture. My mom's in the kitchen working to make food for her family. And she's probably got things on her mind. She's got a list in her mind of the things that she needs to do. And I come in, and this happened a lot during my teenage years too, right? So during that time when I thought I knew everything and was wrong about most things and 
probably said a lot of mean stuff about my siblings, and I would just go on for well over an hour of just talking about all of this random stuff with her, not even helping her make the food, which I probably should have done. So mom, if you're listening to this, sorry, I should have helped you out more. But not helping, just sitting there talking. And this happening like every day or two. With that in mind, I cannot think of a single time that my mom interrupted me while I was talking. Think about that. A teenage son going on for well over an hour, sharing their opinions, probably talking about their siblings and how much he didn't like them sometimes, and not cutting that off. That doesn't mean that once I was done talking that she wouldn't correct some things that I was wrong about or enlighten me in things that maybe I hadn't thought of yet, but she wouldn't interrupt me. She would listen to everything that I had to say, whether it was something she was interested about or not, and no matter how busy she was, and she wouldn't cut me off. Because she loved me. She cared about the things that I cared about, even if she didn't care about it. And letting me just sit there and ramble on while she's busy working around the house. I think that's an incredible example of love, because she would show me on a nearly daily basis in this way that she was there for me. Right? She wasn't, oh, I'm there for you. She was there listening to me while serving me. That's what love looks like. Sometimes the most impactful we can be with our words is when we keep our mouths closed and just listen to someone. And I remember a time in my ministry where a coworker of mine was going through an incredibly difficult time, and she was feeling completely overwhelmed by everything that life had thrown at her. And she asked if she could come over for a while, and so she came over to my wife and my house, and I spent about a half hour just letting her talk just letting her get everything out that she was dealing with because she just needed somebody to listen to her. And before I even gave any advice at all, after just keeping my mouth shut and letting her talk, she took a deep breath and said, I feel so much better. I really needed to get that off my chest. And now that I've said it out loud, it it sounds a lot more manageable than I thought it did. And I really appreciate you being here for me. Now afterward, I did give her some advice to help her through some of what she was dealing with, and she appreciated that too. But the primary way I cared for her during that time was to simply be there for her. To listen to her. Say, I'm here for you, and I want to serve you however I can. That's the lesson that moms are supposed to exemplify. That they say, I see you where you are now. Whereas dads, their job is to say, let's talk about what direction you're going in, right? Let's talk about how to steer their ship. The mom's role is to say, I see where you are now. And there are some things that 
will need to be addressed. But I'm not just here for who you have the potential to be, I'm here for who you are now. And I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to listen to you, because I care about you. And they show love in that way. And so we are to teach others how to be loving, and the way that we do that is by loving others, by serving them, by listening to them. I felt respected by my mom because she took the time to listen to me and serve me, and I respected her in return because of the love that she showed me, and I've always tried my best to try to be loving to others in that same way. So the father is teaching discipline through his words and actions, and the mother is teaching love through her words and actions, but then this passage ends by giving something to be taught by both the men and the women. In verse 7 it says, And everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So both groups here are being taught to have and to show integrity. To show that they are consistent in what they believe and that there is not flaw in their teaching and that they themselves hold themselves accountable to that teaching. And when we hold ourselves accountable in this way and try to live a life with integrity, that lets us set the example of what is good. Because we're showing that these things that are good can withstand scrutiny. It's good regardless of the person. It's good regardless of the situation, the circumstances. And especially in the family dynamic, you're showing that that standard that is set for the children is good because it's the same standard that the parents are holding themselves up to. And probably one of the biggest factors in helping me understand that the teaching coming from my parents was good was seeing them allow themselves to be held accountable to that same teaching. That they would recognize that they were flawed individuals and they didn't always do everything perfectly and if they did something that was wrong, that they needed to be called out for it and held accountable to it, even if that scrutiny, even if that criticism was coming from their children. Now let me be clear here. I'm not saying that my parents allowed us children to talk back to them and disrespect them. However, they did allow us to watch their actions and hold them accountable just as they would hold us kids accountable to the standard that they would set for us. So let me give some examples of what I'm talking about because this is very powerful teaching. There was a day when my dad came into my room, and I was a teenager at this point, and he looked at me and he told me, if I ever make you feel like nothing you will do will ever be enough for me, let me know. 
because I'm feeling that way right now with someone else, and I never want you to feel that way with me. And a day came later on when I did feel that way, where I was trying to do something and I felt like no matter how hard I tried, my dad was going to be angry with me anyways. And I told him, remember when you told me, if, I, if you ever make me feel this way, that nothing I do will be good enough to let you know? That's how I feel now. And that moment was one of the most defining moments of my entire adolescence. From that day on, my dad and I had a deeper relationship with one another over a shared feeling that we were honest with each other about. And never again since that day have I felt like I'll never be good enough for my dad. And he has very clearly shown me and told me how proud he is of who I am. But on that day, I understood that what is good is good and applies to everyone, and what is wrong is wrong and applies to everyone. And when there was this new understanding that the standard that was placed on my life that I didn't always live up to was the same standard placed on my dad's life that he didn't always live up to, there was a newfound shared grace between us. And I would say that we both became more forgiving and graceful and loving and understanding, and we both wanted to be more disciplined. It was an incredible moment that taught me that the honest desire for integrity was good no matter the person or circumstance. And it all came through an allowance of accountability. And that was seen between me and my parents in smaller areas as well. I remember when my mom made a chore chart for all of us kids, and she put it together and put it out there, and I looked over it, and I thought, this looks terrible. <laughs> because Not just because I was getting chores. That wasn't what bothered me. What bothered me was that I felt that the workload between some of the siblings, and I'm not just talking about me, but the workload between some of us siblings was inconsistent and unfair. And also that if you arranged a few of the chores, that some kids would be able to do the chores that they enjoyed doing rather than the ones that they hated doing. And if you rearranged a few of those chores, then it would work smoother for everyone. And I brought up these concerns to my mom, and she didn't just shut me down. She didn't say, don't question what I've done, you know, this is what I've put out there, so you need to just follow it. She listened to my critiques, again, without interrupting me, and she disagreed with some of the points that I made and explained it a bit in more detail and changed my mind about those areas. But there were other things that she said, yeah, that makes a good point, and I hadn't considered that. And we worked together to fine-tune this, this chore chart, and the end result was something that worked better for everyone. And I don't know very many parents who would be willing to go through that process with their kids 
because they would see that as their kid questioning their authority and talking back and they need to be put in their place instead of letting themselves also be held accountable and, and ending up with a much better result. Now, of course, I needed a lot more correction growing up than my parents needed. Absolutely. And my parents were still the final authority. If they said, this is what we're doing, end of discussion, then that was end of discussion. But there was in my household this environment set up where everyone was held accountable to the same standard because it was a good standard. We used the Bible as our standard, and it applied to everyone, and everyone needed to be held accountable to that standard. And there was an integrity found in my family that I think most families miss out on because of that. And the way that we develop integrity in our life is by allowing ourselves to be held accountable. And it doesn't matter where that accountability comes from. It doesn't matter if it comes from someone we like or someone we don't like. It doesn't matter if it comes from a parent or from a child. Integrity is holding ourselves to that good standard, regardless of who's around. And if we aren't living up to that standard, if we aren't doing what is good, then we need to allow people to correct us. And when I saw my parents allow themselves to be corrected because they wanted to do what was good, it showed me how important doing the right thing was. That doing what is good is more important than just doing what you want. And what is good is good all the time. It's not dependent on any circumstances. Just like with truth, the goodness of truth applies to all situations. And when our life is an example of that understanding, then integrity is found. And so I want to leave us today with the question, are you setting an example of integrity? Do you allow yourself to be held accountable? Do you strive for a life that is disciplined and loving because those things are good? And when you are not being disciplined and loving and following the truth of Scripture and doing what is good, when you're not following that, do you, do you allow people to hold you accountable to it? Do you allow people to call that out? But if we want people to know the truth of God and to see the goodness of the discipline and love that he wants for us to have, it's going to happen by letting your life be the example of that and by making sure that there is integrity in that example. So that's the kind of family teaching that scripture instructs us to have, and that's today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to, wherever you're listening to this, like it, rate it, share it, all of those things that help the algorithm, that help get this message out there. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. 
and I pray that God blesses you on this happy Father's Day. Thank you.